Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Yeah, hi, uh, Mario. Uh, it's uh, Professor Luke O'Neill here again. <laughs> Hope you're well. And uh, see, the numbers are going down there, so maybe you're off on holiday. I don't know. But if you are, enjoy yourself. And if you're not sure, do stay in Ireland. Listen, I was leaving you a message because I left a message after the uh, Jim Sheridan, or before the Jim Sheridan episode, and I never heard back from you. It was just about that idea I had. Now, I hear you have Marco Halloran on today. Uh, he um, was involved at Sally Rooney. Now, um, I have another idea which I'd like to pitch to you and Mark. I'm happy to meet Mark personally. Uh, but it's kind of like normal people, uh, except there's less sex and more, I don't know, immunologists. Anyway, um if it's possible, I'd, I'd like to play the male lead. And I have no problem wearing a chain um, or carrying around a syringe or anything, if you want. Okay, thanks. Good. Great podcast. <laughs> Hello, Mario. Ender Kenny here. Boom, boom. I'm very much enjoying the podcast. Following on from the success of my runaway TV program, Iron Road Ender, and I hear you have Marco Halloran on the show... Uh, the filmmaker. I wondered would you be interested in developing a film idea I have. It's set on a train, uh, featuring myself. It involves a man who has to stop a train going a certain speed, uh, or else it will blow up. It's kind of a terrorist thing, and I'm engaged in a kind of a standoff with the terrorists. And you know, I don't negotiate with terrorists. But anyway, I thought somebody of Mark's pedigree could... uh, Sticky it up a little bit. I don't know. I haven't found a name for it either. But anyway, maybe you could think about that. Thanks. Hi. Mario. This is Paul Meskel. I am normally not good at leaving voicemail messages because I talk so slowly that the voicemail usually ends before I can say what I... Well, as ever, the Mario Rosenstock hotline has been buzzing all week. I'm pleasantly surprised always at how many messages we get. Thank you and keep them coming. I'm going to respond to all of the um, outstanding ones shortly. Um, And yes, my guest on this episode is a pretty big deal in the acting world. You may not be familiar immediately with the name Mark O'Halloran, but you will most certainly be familiar with all of his work. Mark wrote and starred in the award-winning film Adam and Paul. He wrote Garage, the film starring Pat Short, which debuted at Cannes. Um, the Cannes Film Festival. He wrote the TV series, hit TV series, Prosperity, and he's currently writing the TV adaptation of Sally Rooney's Conversations with Friends. Mark has worked many times with the great film director, um, Oscar-nominated Lenny Abramson. He's an acclaimed stage actor in his own right. I've seen him many times myself at the Gate Theatre. And it is fair to say that in the arts and creative world, he would be called a huge success. But, and this is pretty much one of the reasons I got Mark on to talk on the Mario Rosenstock podcast, Would you believe that for all of his hard work and achievement and success in one world, Mark is a total failure in another world by his own admission? The world of property ownership. Yep. Like so many others, Mark cannot get approved for a mortgage and is facing a lifetime of insecurity, renting, etc. In our chat, Mark talks incredibly eloquently about this issue, his career and so much more. 
and you kind of go like, I'm paying you top whack, I'm paying your fucking mortgage for you. And you, you make me ask you, can I have a cash? Like, I'm not a 12 year old boy. So there's all of those indignities. Just, for, just, just, just a small tip. Yeah. The next time you ask that, I think you should adopt one of your haughtier, wild characters yes. to do it. I shall be ringing a tortoiseshell in here quite quickly. Now, out of my way before I dispose of you. Here's your rent. Now, fuck off. But you know, with an artistic life, sometimes you go, fuck it, anything could happen. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and that's kind of the thrill of it as well. And that's kind of the thrill. I once bought my mother uh, Maria Callas' greatest hits record for Christmas when I was like 17 or 18. The gayest present that a young gay son can buy the mother of a gay son. Just, it doesn't come any gayer. All that coming up in just a few minutes' time. But speaking about the housing crisis, a certain famous Irish businessman has spotted an opportunity to come up with a solution for it. There's no surprise there. And maybe for himself to make a little bit of profit out of it at the same time. Have a listen. Trouble buying a house? Rent too high? Well, why not try Ryanair? Ryanair has the solution to the housing crisis. COVID-19 means half our fleet are still grounded, which means now Ryanair can offer you bijou luxury accommodation on one of our state-of-the-art Boeing 737 MAX for as little as $39.99 per night. Situated just outside Dublin city centre, and very close to Dublin Airport, why not join the Jet Set by actually living on a jet? Enjoy our perfectly proportioned luxury accommodation. Leather seating. Fold-down tray. Overhead locker space. And a magnificent shared toilet. Plus, a 24-hour concierge service. Providing gourmet meals. And free alarm clock call. Not to mention those magnificent views. Your life will never be the same, so we'll actually throw in a free life jacket. Forget buying a house or even renting one. Ryanair, now you're home. Shut up! Damn, I think I may have just given him um, an idea. Um, Those are unused seats. That's accommodation. I can see it happening. Always a great man to spot spot an opportunity, Michael O'Leary. And you will get a brand new comedy sketch here every week, exclusive to you as a loyal listener to the Mario Rosenstock podcast. If you're enjoying it, please show your support by subscribing on Apple or following us on Spotify and rate and review. Um, Just jump in there and give us a rating. It really helps. And review it if you can. And this really helps us bring you the podcast for free every week. And it also helps more people discover the show, uh, which is obviously what we're very keen on doing. The Mario Rosenstock podcast is, of course, proudly supported by Curry's PC World, where you'll find a huge range of top class kitchen appliances. And this is a very handy bit of information to know, particularly when you find yourself in the middle of a kitchen emergency like our famous president. Oh, for God's sake. This thing is useless. Michael D., what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing, woman? I'm cooking. Cooking for who? What? For who? For the king of Togo. The dignitaries. They're arriving this evening, the reception. But you've never even cooked so much as an egg in your life. Well, as indoor dining doesn't look as if it's going to happen for the next 50 years. I thought I'd learn. This blender is falling apart. That's not a blender. That's a coffee machine. What's this yoke? That's a food processor. You can't... It's about 100 years old, woman. It's on fire! The Rogan Josh! It's on fire! The cooker! Oh, the cooker's knackered! Sabina! Sabine, do something! Hello? Sabine! 
Is that Curry's PC World? Yes, I see you have a range of excellent kitchen appliances on sale at the moment. Sabine! Yes, it's Oris Anukthron, Phoenix Park. May I give my compliments to the chef? Uh, yes, I am the chef, Your Highness. Oh, really? Yes, I prepared everything myself with my own hand. Yes. The Rogan Josh is absolutely incredible. Well, Michael D. has always been good with curries, haven't you, Michael D.? Really? Uh, yes, yes indeed, I have. <laughs> curries PC World. Kitchen appliances fit for a king. So get yourself down to Curry's PC World and get some new kit for your kitchen. So let's get down to the main event. My guest on today's podcast, the highly eloquent, talented, charismatic actor and writer, Mark O'Halloran. Enjoy. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a fellow actor uh, because I rarely get fellow actors onto the Mario Rosenstock podcast. But um, I'm delighted to be joined by a person I've admired for many years and his name is Mark O'Halloran. Mark, hello. How are you? And thanks for ju- being on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I'm sweating, as they say. <laughs> That's just the heat outside. <laughs> it is the heat outside. Um, I'm very well. Yeah, very well. Good, good. Mark, um, so first of all, just to familiarise people with your uh, mm. fantastic work over the years. So. So um, I would know you and a lot of people would know you from your work, let's say, on a film called uh, Adam and Paul. Uh, Familiarise people with Adam and Paul and what was it? When was it made? And So Adam and Paul sort of came out of um, around the year 2000-ish. I started writing little plays that got put on in the, the Bewley's Cafe Theatre on, on Grafton Street. And one day... Um, the the producer Johnny Spears came and saw one of them and he liked them and he asked did I have anything by way of uh, an idea for a film mm. Johnny Spears is a famous sort of ad guy isn't ad he ad guy yeah he produces big big, big budget like, ads you know the Carlsberg ads yeah. and all of those sort of things so he was kind of looking for something because his one of the directors he had in house was Lenny Abrahamson who and they had been searching for a while for, for a, a vehicle for Lenny to direct mm. So I said, yeah, yeah, I've loads of ideas for films. And I went home and I didn't really, I had this sort of concept, which was a day in the life of two homeless heroin addicts. Um, It would be set between sunrise and sunrise the next day and they would be searching for drugs and you'd never know which one is which. And in the middle of it, they'd meet a baby. That was literally what I had. I wrote it on a page. So two men and a baby on drugs. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And I said something about Larlan Hardy because I love Larlan Hardy. And uh, I wrote some sample scenes. So now normally in the film world, that would get you thrown out the door like they'd go what on earth are you thinking about but Lenny took a look at the scenes and he said he saw something in them that really um, sort of uh, went towards what he was trying to do and we both kind of share a very similar sense of humour we did like Larlan Hardy films as well as sort of serious Frenchy Frenchy arty arty films and so that's kind of where it came from and so literally I mean, earlier than that, my own interest in why I would be looking at heroin addicts on the street was I come from Ennis County Clare. I moved to Dublin in 1990. I had never seen heroin addicts before, or maybe I had seen them in Ennis, but I just didn't realise it. But I moved into Parnell Street and at the time O'Connell Street was full of heroin addicts, except the people who lived here for any length of time had stopped seeing them. But I was just like, oh, my God. And I saw things like a, a young man in the middle of the traffic island on, on O'Connell Street with a cigarette burnt down to the, 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 the filter in one finger and a hypodermic needle in the other. And he fell over in slow motion, like literally it took him a minute and a half to hit the ground. 
And I was in drama school at the, mo- at the time studying mime. And I realised you know, it would take intense study for me to be able to take a million and a half to fall down to the ground. Yeah. But I also saw things like I saw these two older women, uh, maybe in their mid to late 20s, and they were fighting over a chalk ice. Like, and I, I felt that there was a kind of a baby talk in the way they spoke to each other. The kind of, yeah, you yeah, want this, you want that. And, and, and some of it was really funny and some of it was really tragic. And I thought there was something in there. And Lenny was like, that's it. Write that. Yeah, it, was a mo- it was a mechanic almost that you found that uh, I was on a bus once, right, in, uh-huh. in Dunleary. And uh, like the, the upstairs was, 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 there was a good few heroin addicts or at uh-huh. least heavy drug addicts. And you know that kind of thing, and and but there was but it made me laugh out loud. One of them because yeah. he came out with this thing. She said, "Wake up, wake up," and she said, "I couldn't sleep last night, and I was awoken by a bumblebee." And for a second, I could have been back in I don't know Strumpet City or something. <laughs> there, was, there was something poetic. Um, about it there was something mm. it was just really it was a bit strange and a bit odd but my son was with me and he was um, 10 and to this day he goes dad I was awoken by a bumblebee bumble you just don't he- hear people speak like that and yeah and I, I found the people fascinating I, I also found that the people who were on the street the other people were very quick to say the junkies the scumbags the K word as we'd say these days and and so we played with this idea in the film that you'd call, you'd be told that, that, that the two of them are called Adam and Paul, but you'll never be able to find out through watching the film which one is Adam and which one is Paul. And there was this idea that I thought it would be lovely if an audience was struggling to name the people that they wouldn't give a name to in everyday life and that they'd step over mm-hmm. in everyday life. So that's where the film came from. It was like we had no idea that anybody would ever want to watch it. Like literally there was no thought put into it. We had no distribution deal. And it kind of, you know, it kind of took off in its own little way. It took off. It has this, it still has this life. Like I, I get on the Lewis sometimes going and I, I always know when I look wrecked because I get on the Lewis and somebody goes, all right, Edelman Paul. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, yeah, still. And that's it's 15 or 20 years later. And I, I really look really rough those days when that happens. But people like that's even so young fellas still to this day, like oh, last week, two or three times, young fellas go, so yeah. oh, can I have you a photograph, which is because yeah. I live up in Rialto. So um, a lot of them would have had, you know, a lot of the, the, the boys who were in Fat Man who are in the social housing around us, some of them would have had family who had had addiction problems. And so I think they were shown the film in school and things like that. Yeah, OK. So, so it became part of a curriculum thing. In it, the, in did, the, yeah. it did. It um, did. And the making of, of, of it was a great joy because Tom Murphy, who, who played the other character in it, there was me and Tom Murphy. And Tom Murphy was, he was a great scut, as I would say. He was a fabulous, incredibly egoless, fantastically um, talented man who died very soon after the film was made. I think he was, it was, he died in uh, 2007 and it came out in 2005. So it was only two years later and he died of a very aggressive cancer that he got. And, you know, I, I think there was something like eight weeks between diagnosis and, and his, his death. And it was all very sudden. Tom is a contemporary of both of ours, Mark. Yes. Um, because <clears> I would be in and around the same age as you. Yes. And he would have been as well. And Tom was always regarded as um, one of those um one of those actors who had something he, he had and, and it, it wasn't just talent. He had a givingness as well. 
there was a gentleness and an openness. He was egoless. I, I mean that Which is seriously. unusual for actors. Very unusual yeah. for actors. And I mean that in a good way because actors need ego as yeah, well. Absolutely. And, and most actors and like, are fantastic with ego. I have an ego the size of today tomorrow myself. Like, yeah, you fine. Know. But like he was egoless in that, he, like, I don't know whether you've ever been in a, in, a, in a production where you have to cry. And there's a danger when you have to cry and you're able to cry that all you do is just show your tears to the audience because it's brilliant. I'm able to cry. And that's an ego. You know, there's ego in your performance. You want to be seen to be able to to bring these depths of emotion to a role. He had no ego in his performance. Like he wasn't doing the performance for everyone to say he was a great fella. He was doing it because it was the truth of what he was doing. You know what I mean? Mm. So we had him in the film and Literally, we just laughed from one day to the next on it. It was a very tough shoot in that it was, you know, we didn't have trailers or anything like that. Mm. Me and Tom used to have to sit on the side of the pavement um, whilst they were setting up new shots. Mm. Uh, Method acting. (laughs) Method acting. And Tom and I had also been partners together, lovers or whatever, for about eight years in the time before Adam and Paul was made. And then we broke up about a year, maybe two years before it was actually shot. But I was writing it at the time that we were breaking it up. So you'll see in the film, Tom's character gets a football in the face or gets knocked over by a moped. And there's me going, ha, 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 I'll get Tom splattered in the face. But I would text him then and say, look, I just put this into the script. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> yeah, bitch. But I was, what was amazing about Tom is <clears throat> he arrived on set with this complete character. Like Tom was quite posh. He was from a posh family. Um, he went to, did he go to King's Hospital or one of those um, posh schools? But you would never think it from that film. Like nobody. Oh, no, it's ridiculous. His, his, his both of you are great in it, but his, 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 his ownership of that body, that, that physicality is just unbelievable. I think it's one of the best Irish performances in modern cinema. Like I just think there's a scene where he's in the in the park um, and there's all the other crowd of their friends are there and he just looks completely wrecked and he unzips a little bit the top of his uh, tracksuit, his tracksuit top and he goes, I'm sweating. And it is just the funniest thing. Like I remember the day we were shooting it, I used to just go... <laughs> And we go, okay, we go again. Do you know what's funny about it? Because watching back through some of the clips, um, it was funny because some of the scenes that you're in are like comedy sketches, but juxtaposed against the the, the natural background of the tragedy that it is. Yeah. It's interesting because I suppose if you played that as harrowing and sad and think, it wouldn't have been as effective. But the fact is that when you're in those situations, those situations are bizarre. They're clumsy. They're 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 farcical. Yeah, there's a there's a physical comedy involved. There's this couldn't happen, could it? And it does happen. It's hilarious in a way, of course. Yeah, in a way, it's hilarious. But And then I think we within the film, we also bring the audience to a darker place. You know, there is the funny like loads of the lads that I'd see on the street would go like, oh, I, like that. I think it's absolutely fucking hilarious. I love it. I love it. But then it brings them to this sad place where one of them is dead. And, yes. and, and then Tom's character does this thing. This is a, I wanted to, I have a small scene okay. here and i see if you can tee this up. So this is a scene where you and he are on the bench in the park and there is a stranger beside you. Yeah. And there is a can uh, that is burst open, a can of, uh, a can of soda pop or drink or milk. milk. Well, yeah. Well, tell us about that scene. So now, interestingly enough, <laughs> years ago, I think, you know, I knew people in my family or whatever, and they'd say anybody who wasn't French or German was Romanian. 
There was no other nation in Europe. <laughs> so everybody else was Romanian. So I kind of had this joke in my head. We call somebody a Romanian, but they turn out to be Bulgarian. And that was a kind of a joke that I had going on. I didn't realize, though, that there's serious issues between Romania and Bulgaria and they hate each other. Okay. So Romanian, uh, uh, Bulgarian football matches and all the like is pretty, can be a tense affair. So there was a guy who was doing a show up in the gate at the time. He was a very posh actor, European actor. Uh, his name is Jan Karamitru. Very famous, did a famous Hamlet back in the 70s and 80s. I didn't realise that he was actually Romanian. Mm. <laughs> Not only was he Romanian, but he was the ex-culture minister of Romania. He's currently, <laughs> he's currently the, the artistic director of the National Theatre of Romania. And he was the person who went on television during the Velvet Revolution of wherever it was just to announce the death of the Ceausescus. Oh, wow. So I sent him a script up to the gate in which he had to say, I'm not a fucking Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever you show it in Bulgaria or Romania, everyone just goes... That's Jan Karamitru yeah. It'd be like Michael D. Higgins going, I'm not fucking Irish, I'm from England. Yeah, well, he could nearly do that. <laughs> I'm not fucking Irish, I'm from England. There is a soccer, there is a soccer hooligan uh, in Michael D. There is. I mean, I have sat, is, I've I, sat near to him at soccer matches. He was president of Galway United and we're all there and people are sitting at the match and everybody's kind of half glancing at Michael D just to see if he's all right. Then there's something happens like a foul on the pitch. He jumps out of his seat and he goes, that was never a fucking free kick referee. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Bastard! And then he, he can revert very quickly to the civilised Michael T. Yes. Is a schizophrenia involved. <laughs> but um, yes, Kamitru, Cam- Mr. Kamitru. Jan Kamitru. So it's this scene in which these boys were at the lowest of the low, try to think that they're higher up the pecking order <coughs> than some guy who they think is from Romania. And that's basically it. What is the fuck? Sorry, I wasn't aiming at you. Why you throw this will? It was an accident. It was supposed to hit me. Sorry. Fuck's sake. My pants in my bag. All fucking milky. Yeah, why are you sitting so close to us in the first place? I don't have to fucking have to asking your permission where I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great scene. And it's a great scene. And, uh, what is the fuck? What is the fuck? That, I've never heard it said like that before. He Brilliant. also had to say... They goes, why did you why did you come here? And he goes, I had to leave Sophia. And Tom's character says, why was she pregnant? <laughs> pregnant. It's the stupidest gag in the whole world, but it's so fantastic. Ah, listen, listen, utter charm. We're going to move on to another film that you're famous for. Yes. And that was a film you wrote called Garage. Yeah. Tell us briefly about Garage. Garage is set in a small town, probably towards the, the, the Midlands or over towards the West, maybe Tipperary or one of those areas. And it's about... I think that the, the phrase that we used was to make a very serious film about a very ridiculous person. So it was about, you know... In Irish cinema history before, there was always the village idiot, you know, the... the it was your son Tyg did yeah, it. Yeah, like John Hurt in, in The Field. Exactly. Mm. Or then there was, was it Mills in, in Ryan's Daughter? That's right. Uh, so we kind of wanted to shift the kind of centre ground over to look at the village idiot. So we had this idea of this man who gets falsely accused of something that... And that he isn't sure himself whether he's guilty or not. And mm. it, it causes him to do something terrible in his life. And it's, it's a kind of an edgy film in lots of ways, but it's also very gentle. And I wrote it especially for um, Pat Short. 
because I think the patch art understands country life and country people really well. And uh, at the time, it was a big risk for, for Pat to do it because, you know, he had a very he has a very big audience that is uh, that could be family orientated or, you know, more conservative, possibly. Maybe they're not. I, I'm not sure. But I think that there was issues within the film that could have been seen as being edgy for him. Jeepers, though, I, just to jump in there for a second, Mark, uh, funny, I, I often have a bit more faith in personally in Irish audiences myself. I, I think that I think in a way that they're, you know, yes, that he does this broad humour and everything. But I always believe they can go with you when you do something like that. Well, I think he was vital to the film, actually, mm. because people trust Pat. Mm. I think he can take an audience by the hand and mm. go, it's going to be OK. Mm. We're all right. And I think that uh, Lenny says that if he had said no, we wouldn't have made it, actually. Mm. And I love the way you <laughs> said as well, we were worried about Pat because and that just shows how you think about things because other people would go, we were a bit worried about Pat and that the film would go down. Yeah. Uh, and, you're, and you're there. No, no, we were worried for Pat uh, because it would affect his career. Other people would go, we're worried about our damn film. That yeah. bloody comedian from Killing a Scully will bring it down. <laughs> but he was just, he read the script and he was fantastic. And uh, me and me and Len went down to Tipperary to, to do a bit of rehearsals with him. And, uh, you know, within the first page, we were all going, we were all laughing and thinking it was great and it premiered at Cannes which was kind of interesting for us again it was a real surprise and you're going over there and then there was lots of French you know reporters going and this uh, this bet shot is a Beckett actor in Ireland and I was going um no yeah. <laughs> yes. oh yeah well he could be yeah and uh, so they I mean he was a real wow there people loved him and uh, it was that whole that whole time was hilarious. Yeah. So introduce this scene then. This is a little yeah. scene I got again. And it's where um, Josie is in the bar and the lads are kind of haranguing him. Yeah. Um, about tell us about the situation up in the garage. Uh, mm. Your new your new thing. So uh, he comes a fella, another fella comes into the bar. The third fella comes into the yes. bar and orders a pint. And uh, so what's that? What point in the film is that? It's I think it's 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 early on, maybe the first third. And it's just sometimes that banter in a bar can become very cruel and if you're the eternal butt of the joke it can become extra cruel and then some people with alcohol are more cruel and they just pick on Josie because he's the bottom of the bottom and he understands like he doesn't fight back but they're saying some home truths because at the time it was made was like 2006 the Celtic Tiger was roaring uh, small towns were getting kind of pulled asunder like the, the natural yeah. order of, of things of rural life uh, and basically the idea of where would where would somebody like Josie survive in a town where the property that the garage was built on is worth much more than his livelihood. This is the land of this is the world of Liam Lawler you're talking about. Yeah. The world yeah, this the world of property planning and, and all sure. of this and juxtaposed against this simple man. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the scene. You nearly missed it, Sully. I'd say I did not, huh? Josie was giving us his five-year plan. For fuck's sake. Weren't you, Josie? Just now. Tell him, Josie. Way now to crack. What? We're open late above the weekends. Just Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. But <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard Tom Gallows' plan yet, Josie? Awful miss him. Go on. You must have been consulted. No. All right, here it is. Five-year plan, okay? 
get some fucking idiot to look after your garage, will you? That's the easy bit, isn't it, Josie? No. Sit on it. Don't invest like not a fucking dime. Then when the time is right, knock it down and start building apartments. No. And just fuck you out on your ear. The weekend's just... A rising tide lifts all boats, isn't that right? Except for Josie's. Would you relax, Breffney? Do you want a pint for Josie, then? No, I'm Grand Breff. Go on, then. I'm going out for a fay. And that was Don Witcherly, of course, uh, being, being the bully and, yes, uh, and rather good in it so as well. Yeah, good, so good. Yeah, he's a brilliant actor, Don. Yeah, he is. He's fabulous. He is, yeah. And uh, what's so? Just before we wrap that up, what's the what's the deal um, with Josie's um, status? What is what is he? Do you do you think? Or is that fully is that fully outlined in the movie in terms well, of I, his mental? I think capacity. he's just running a slower race than everybody else, you might say. Mm. Like he's on, like, I don't think he's got any profound issues that makes him unable to live a, a dignified life. Mm. But he might understand things at a slower pace than other people. Yeah. So maybe his literacy wouldn't be the greatest or yeah. blah, blah. And he's a small bit, you know, people would say he's a bit dis, is a phrase. Is it? A bit dis. I didn't know that one. That's, is that a country one? It's a country one. Yeah, well, Somebody, I'm kind of from the country as well. Like, where are you I'd from? I'd be Waterford. Okay. I've um, heard of that place. <laughs> just a long way from Ennis. Just a long, just, long way from Ennis. Awful roads. No, they talk like that. You know what I'm saying, boy? Yeah. I mean, you've got Blairs down there. Blairs, yeah, I'm a Blairhead. Are you? You know, living out beyond the old Tremor Road there. I have been to Tremor. In fact, I dated a young man from Tremor once. Go away. Yeah. Wasn't uh, Mossy Henry, was it? <laughs> I knew a fella. I knew he a, had the gay. Oh, I knew, a, I knew a queer fella called Henry <laughs> Melbourne. They're all, they're all queers out there, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, very good, uh, Mark. Uh, yeah. Right. I dated a boy from Tremor. Yeah, he broke How did heart. we get here? He broke yeah. your heart? Yeah, he did, yeah. All right. Yeah. Do all boys break your heart or do you No, break? he was the only person who's ever dumped me. Oh, I had, I had so you're this, the heartbreaker. I had this face. You are the stern one. Which is the completely shocked face. You're the one that texts, faxes people and goes, I'm afraid it's over. Ghosting. I have a film to write. I'm the you're king a, of ghosting. Are you, yeah? Yeah. Not even talking to you anymore. Good luck. <laughs> Sorry, I blocked your number. Anyway. I didn't. I got a new phone. <laughs> anyway, so yes. there he is, folks. There's Mark O'Halloran and uh, he is... Uh, by way of introduction, um, those are two of the great things that Mark has done sitting in front of me. And of course, you've been you've been a stalwart of acting as well. You've been yeah. a main fr- mainstay in the gate for quite I a while. I was in the gate for a long time, and then I acted with the in the Abbey and done bits and bobs in films, not huge yeah. amounts. And I've seen you in, in Oscar Wilde stuff and stuff. Yeah. And you love Oscar Wilde and love all that. You do, and you're brilliant at it. And um, you can strike a pose, and love you love affecting your affecting. Putting on an the act, b- as the were. big posh voice, yeah. big posh voice, and you've got the frame to do it. You're a handsome man. You're tall. You're you're distinguished looking, and you have. I'll a, give you my number. That's later slightly on. no. <laughs> I, I, you, you know, you're you're turning me now, and uh, <laughs> and uh, no, folks, because you can't see him, but he is a handsome man. He is distinguished, and he's like looks like a guy who played nobility in, in an Oscar Wilde stuff, and he's always done it with 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 a plum. Uh, but really, the reason I got Marco Hallan on was not to talk about him. All these things was was to was to really build up to something, and that was that. That, um, some months ago, Mark, um, I found uh, an article on the journal, yeah. and it was by you, it was authored by you, mm. and um, the 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 headline of it went: "My career might be judged a success, but when it comes to the property market, I'm a complete failure." You go on to say, "Our political class have forgotten that housing is a right and not simply an opportunity to redistribute money upwards to the wealthy." I read on. I read a captivating article which you wrote very nicely, very directly, very to your to the point and in your face. And um, 
you basically pointed out that uh, you had you wrote a tweet. Didn't you? You yes, put out I wrote a tweet. A Tell tweet. the story of the tweet. So uh, I have for the last, like, I'm 51 now. I have never owned property. I've, I've pretty much owned nothing all my life. Lately, over the last while, I've been doing much better. I, you know, I'm writing on the on the new um, Sally Rooney TV series, for instance. I'm writing another film for Lenny we're going to make next year. I'm working on bits and pieces of of, of uh, other television work. I have two plays going on this year. I had a very busy lockdown because I live alone, so I had nothing to do but write. Um, so I've been thinking that if I don't buy a house, I don't have any means to retire I don't have any protection I um, I never really made money besides you know people often ask me you know they say oh like you made Adam and Paul you must have made loads of money on it and not just jokingly I tell them do you want to know the entire sum of money I made from Adam Paul in, in its entirety I made 7,500 euros out of Adam and Paul and so people are going like oh Oh, was that badly paid? Now, I wouldn't change it for the world because also Adam and Paul was a calling card and it allowed exactly. me a career. And and also, I'm just really proud of it as, a, as an achievement for myself. Exactly. But you wrote this tweet <clears throat> and it's like... So my tweet was... I'm never going to own property. I've, I've come to the, to the, to the realisation that I will never own property. What that means for my future is unknown. Um, in that... I at the moment I own uh, I, I own I, I rent a, a small one bedroomed cottage in Rialto. It's about two thousand euros a month. I'm not in receipt of welfare or HAP or PUP or any of the like. I pay my own way. Always have haven't received welfare payments since I don't know the early nineties. And so I am paying a rent that would probably pay a mortgage on a house like that. But I'm not allowed into the mortgage market because I am self-employed. My rent, I, I, I even have a deposit, which would be a tidy deposit. But they say that my income is erratic or it goes up and down from year to year, which it does. Um, but I've never missed my rent. Um, um, and you kind of, uh, I realised that I'm pr- I'd say within the next 12 months, if it doesn't happen, it's never going to happen. And that means... Every year for the next however long I live, I will have 4% added onto my my commercial rent. I will basically never be able to retire or take it easy. I will never be able to afford to be sick. I will never be able to afford to lose my marbles because I will have nothing. I will be thrown out of the, the, the out onto the street. And I said in my tweet, in my article, I said, I'm one of those people who is doomed to live amongst other people's furniture. The type of person who at the age of 51 has to ask permission to own a cat. Yeah. Which is the truth because there are no, absolutely no protections or charter for for people who rent houses. So every time you move, you go, is it okay if I have a cat with me? Yes. And you kind of go like, I'm paying you top whack, I'm paying your fucking mortgage for you. And you, you make me ask you, can I have a cash? Like, I'm not a 12 year old boy. So there's all of those indignities. Just, for, just, just, just a small tip. Yeah. The next time you ask that, I think you should adopt one of your haughtier wild characters yes. to do it. I shall be bringing I a say young, I say, young landlord, <laughs> I shall be ringing your tortoiseshell in here quite quickly. Now, out of my way before I dispose of you. Here's your rent. Now, fuck off. The place is a dive. Nothing a cat <laughs> won't sort out. Yeah, just go see loads of places and dismiss them. But well, now, there are lots of hideous places. Well, now, and I have to say, the place I'm living in is fabulous. Yeah. And my landlords are fabulous. So I won't, I don't, what I can't What response complain. did you get to your tweet? 
Obviously Twitter Twitter. There evokes. was a lot of Why don't you move to Leitrim You lazy git <laughs> Buy a car Get a new job You big failure Buy a car to live in it No they said buy a car And go to Leitrim Because I told them <laughs> I told them then I couldn't drive And they were like You're absolutely useless You're a useless human being I don't drive either Mark Do you not? No I've never learned to drive Never learned to drive See, I, I knew like, I knew I got you onto yeah. this For a reason I love First of all I love public transport Yes I love going on trains I love the Lewis I get excited getting on the Lewis right. Every day well, obviously, if people are going, is your man from man of a book and ball? I would as well. Round of applause every yeah, time yeah, I get exactly. it. Um, and so there's, uh, so I got a lot of that. And then, but then I got a lot of people telling me, look, I'm in the same position. There's a hell of a lot of us who are now in the position where possibly they were going to go and buy a place and they hit the 2008, 2009, 2010 collapse. Their careers took a tumble at that time as well. They built themselves back up and now they're trying to go back into the market and it's nothing there. And they're of an age, the same age as me, and we're, we're now facing this. And I think that part of the frustration is, like, you go, for a city to be successful, I think, a, a city has to support all sorts of people. For it to be a vibrant cultural place, it's got to have living quarters for the vibrant cultural <laughs> quarter which is people who don't make huge amounts of money generally speaking hmm. uh, it also has to have rich places for the rich people to live hmm. and they've got to have places for nurses and doctors and, and teachers and people who, on middle incomes where they can exactly they can. I, I've always I've always found it despicable that the people who protect us the most, most the nurse and the guard that they are the two people had they married they cannot afford a house either yeah. in Dublin so a nurse and a guard really can't afford a house based on their uh, wages either. And they are the ones <coughs> who are protecting us. They are the ones who we patronise with this awful round of applause we give them and yeah. then fail to pay them a penny extra. Yeah. The guard, the nurse. Yeah. What, what, how much more basic can we get? But now, in your case, an artist, of course, I would regard as a high, high, high level in society because we need art. Uh, we need art to keep us awake, alive, to also, it's it's you know your art and your cultural sector is very good for your for your tourist economy when it comes back. It's very good for, but it's also good for a society to be thinking about itself. Correct, thinking about itself, saying who the fuck are we? Mm. Oh, we we're these people. Are we the people who step over Adam and Paul on the street? And as anybody, exactly, are the people who step over Adam and Paul on the street? And as anybody who's been listening to this for the last while would gather, the reason I wanted you to talk about your career is because you are clearly one of those people who has thought a lot about a society and has been able to articulate yourself a lot about society. And the reason I got you on is because what kind of society are we when somebody who is at the, you know, the apex of their career in, a, in an English-speaking uh, country which supposedly celebrates its, its, its great artists, and we talked about Beckett and, mm -hmm. and Joyce and all this and uh, people sitting on benches, um, and it can't allow one of their really fine artists even to buy a, f a simple house on in, in their own town that they're living in. Whereas the 963rd best fucking accountant can no problem waltz into a place mm -hmm. and buy a thing. The other thing that struck me about your dilemma is, does it not strike these people who you are seeking a mortgage from that, oh, yes, you are an actor, but... For example, to be an actor requires such supreme dedication uh, in terms of maintenance of your your mental and physical health because the, what the, the actual thing demands. Have you ever seen people on stage? Well, I, there was one thing that happened to me when I came. I came back home from Cannes after we'd had a <laughs> garage in Cannes and I was full of myself. 
and uh, we had a TV series that was just about to come out and I was like, I'm the bee's knees. And I met this woman on a bus and she goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a writer and an actor. And she goes, do you do it full time? (laughs) (laughs) And there is that feeling sometimes amongst people that, you know, maybe they're not doing it full time. But like it does actually take up all your time to to, to write and get things made. And and, uh... this podcast is proudly supported by our friends in Curry's PC World. Back to the chat. But what about the whole idea that it, I was just getting onto this, that it's not just actors who are in your position. The whole world is turning into a, 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 a globe <clears throat> of actors in the sense that everybody's, half the people are in the gig economy anyway. Yeah. We're all freelancers. Well, I mean, I don't know how the young So where are they people, going? What's their argument? I don't what's, a, what's a stable job anymore? I think that... that, that uh, the, the, the young, for me, it's like they're going to have to. They would have to give me a much shorter mortgage. They would have to do so. There'll be also. They would have to untick boxes that should be ticked, basically. Um, and the whole idea that you know three and a half times your income that might work for some years to get a mortgage doesn't work for other years. But as I always say to them, I go like, I've never come near to missing my rent. Like my rent, which would pay a mortgage on a house that that I'm living in, I have never missed it. So, and also, I just think that. And, and the, 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 the government should be coming at these things with creative solutions. Like I'm not asking, I'm not asking to be given a house. And, and when I say in my article that the, we have the right to housing, I'm not saying we have the right to free housing. I'm saying that we, ha- we, should, we should put it into our constitution, that the access to the market is allowed and that, that the speculation within the market, if it's causing the market to, to dysfunction, should be banned from the market for a while. Why should it be, why is it more important for some geezer to have six houses and seven houses and 10 houses and 20 houses and be renting them out, thereby excluding somebody who just wants a home to live in? Like, I have a family member, uh, uh, she's a young woman, she has two kids with her fella, they both work and they just, like over the last year, they moved three times not because they're not earning, not because they're on welfare. Uh, and I believe welfare is really important, actually, by the way. But they weren't asking for handouts. They just literally, they'd get into a place and it would, somebody would go, well, we're actually going to, we're going to do something to it and we'll, we'll rent it out again maybe in another six months. Or they had to move to this place or they took a knock because of COVID and they have to get out of a place that was so expensive. Their two kids are like five and six. I mean, they've they've now got settled into a house that I think is going to be good for them, but they're not in the position to buy yet. They're late 20s, early 30s now. Like, they are, they're the type of people who should be getting houses. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as myself, <laughs> mm. but like they're not. Uh, but some bozos allowed to earn uh, buy twenty houses and 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 profit. I, you know, I don't have children, and I'm not going to have children. I don't need to have something to pass on to people. I would happily stay renting if I thought that renting was a secure thing for an older person to be in in Ireland. But it's not. There's no. There's nobody going, ah, sure, the old fella, we'll give him, we'll give him an old chance. It's literally, you'll be an old fella and they'll fuck you out on your, on your ear if you get sick. That's just the way it is. And you can hope and pray that you'll get sheltered accommodation or the like. Um, but that's kind of like for the people who don't have the bank of mum and dad, who don't, who realise that 450,000 euros is not an affordable home. It's not an affordable home, no matter how many times the Minister for Housing tells you it is. Like it's 
it feels to, it feels at the moment that there's an aggression within the city that that it's willing to sacrifice itself for some weird principle. Oh, the principle of the free market. Mm. And I go, well, actually, the market isn't free if you look at it. Um, it's also chaining us all to servitude, indentured sure. servitude for the 40 years at the highest mortgage rates in, in Europe. And also, it's not free if you allow you know, the vulture funds and the whatever they're called, the cuckoo funds or the this, that and the other funds who come in and buy whole estates and who buy, all, you know, the government didn't refuse to even say that that, uh, that uh, apartments were homes um, while they were talking about getting rid of vulture funds out of out of certain schemes. At this point, I suppose it'd be nice to credit actually your man Rory Hearn. Yeah, um, who's fantastic. For bringing certain things to light and also even at you talked about Twitter earlier on. There's a there's a Twitter page called uh, Crazy House Prices, oh, I mean, which yeah. is quite good. And he or she or they cast um, good light on some of the madness that's going on, like that place in Ranelagh that started at 600 and went up to 1.1 million. And just mm. for a D6 address, do you know what I mean? Yeah. A box. It's not great. I also think there's problems within, you know, within the creative uh, world, uh, I think that sometimes creative careers take longer to develop. There are some people who come out of drama school or come out of mm. their their film school and they're instant hits yeah. and they go for it. There are others who, who take a bit of time boiling away, as I'd say. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, I didn't do much in my 20s, yeah. but I did a lot of reading. I went to see loads of things. I did acting. I, I went from small little jobs to small little jobs and I was kind of I lived in this, you know, my rent was about £40 a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a place that I really liked, even yeah. though it was a complete and utter dump. Yeah. I once um, brought an American friend back to my uh, back to my gaff and he walked in the door and went, oh, how bohemian. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it there. And on the side of that bed, I wrote Adam Paul. I loved it. I thought it was a great yeah. place. Um, but those, that freedom to be able to have a bit of wriggle room whilst you're on the yeah. bottom on the way up, that an arts community needs some very, you know, accessible rentage is not going to be there anymore. And I worry that young people will not get into the, the arts. And, and I think we'll all suffer. I think the city will suffer terribly for that. Yes, 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 it will. Um, OK, I think you've made your point really well, um, Mark. And I don't know if I'm going to add anything else to it. So I asked you, when I sent you an email, I asked you um, something just to turn off, switch off. When, you, when you're sick of talking to fat bankers who won't give you houses. Yes. <laughs> and, say, and when you're sp- sick of reading tweets that go, fuck off and get a car and drive got a litre. Got a litre, no, no. Um, it was a little bit of comedy that makes you laugh. And, uh, and um, could, this could have been anything, of course, but you chose something, you chose, uh, something very, very sweet, I think. Yes. So I chose Larlin Hardy. Mm. So Larlin Hardy, just it's instant pleasure for me. I just find them so adorable. Um, I've seen Way Out West, the film, like a hundred million times. In fact, I paid homage. When I say homage, I ripped off um, some of, of uh, the lines in, in uh, Way Out West in Adam and Paul. So, so Tom says when, he's, when I'm trying to steal a handbag in a, in a cafe, loads of weather we've been having lately. And that's a direct homage. Did to they say loads of weather? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And so that sounds a very Irish statement. It though. does. Yeah, yeah, that's what I people, thought. People would say that in Ireland. Like. And then there's a scene in it where... Uh, where Stan Laurel is being tickled and he just laughs and laughs. It's about 15 minutes long. Mm. It's 
I literally would watch it on repeat and I would laugh my arse off. It's just fantastic. Because when you hear Stan Laurel laughing, yeah. it just makes you feel happy. Well, yeah. we can listen to Stan Laurel oh, laughing now. We can keep the mics on and everything. So, yeah. I think, um, High pitched laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrific. The great Laurel and Hardy. When we were when we were actually making making Adam and Paul, uh, there was lots of sort of script editors would say to us, you know, maybe we could do some some scenes where they meet their fathers or they we understand why they've become homeless and things like that. They and wanted to resolve it. Yes. And Lenny said, nobody asks why Laurel and Hardy ended up being homeless. Which yeah. is kind of a brilliant way of thinking about what we wanted to do with the film, actually. Yeah. Do you find that's a, an issue with um, American culture that the, in, in the arts that they try to resolve things I like that a lot? I think there is that. I think if you're going to invest five bazillion okay. pounds, they, want to, tie they want to tie it up. There have been, of course, instances many d- <laughs> down through the years where uh, producers have come and say, either we have an ending like that or the thing is oh, up. Yeah. And they were right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. were right. The girl, I, the guy needs to get the girl in the end or this film flops. And often they are right. I generally, you know, if I submit a script, I listen to the notes I get. Like I do listen to the notes I get and I try and sometimes they're they're diagnosing something that isn't exactly what they're diagnosing, but they're picking up that something's wrong. Do you know that kind of way? Mm. And and so you try and figure out what it is that's that's made them think it was incomplete. I still think, though, that I love that. I love that. I love stories like the idea that Spielberg would go to a screening of Jaws mm-hmm. and that he would sit at the back of one of the first screenings at Jaws and they would come to the bit where the guy comes head comes out of the boat and the audience jumps yeah. and he goes, OK, they didn't jump high enough. I'm going back into the edit room and I try it again. <laughs> and then they, they go back into another screening and the audience hop out of their things and this puppet master is going, I made that happen. I think it's, it's wow. truly extraordinary. Yeah. That kind of feeling of power of controlling your audience and making that evince that, that, that reaction. Never made a film that we'd had the money to go back into... Um, second. <laughs> to second. Yeah. And, um, uh, someone else for a day I asked you and you said, I have, no, I, have, I have your notes here. I have no real desire to be anyone else. But at a push, it would be nice to be a great singer and a great beauty might be nice as well. Maybe I could be Maria Callas. <laughs> <laughs> or the great actress Anna Magnani. Now I didn't know Anna Magnani, so I googled her and everything, and she seems like a volcanic, She's earthy, earthy, big-breasted Italian, Italian woman, like the bit like of, yourself, big-breasted. Yes, <laughs> um, she was one of the great actresses of the twentieth century. But yeah. she'd do roles where she'd tear her hair out and bang her he- hands against the ground. Or in at the end of Rome, Open City, she gets shot very famously and, and falls to the ground. She's very camp. I wouldn't say she's no. camp. She's fierce, is what fierce. I would say. Yeah, Maria Callas, just because she's she's brilliant. Yeah, I always loved Maria Callas myself. There's this video footage of Maria Callas, and she's singing uh, "Casta Diva," and she's got her. It's live on stage, and she's got her arms folded over across her show, across her chest, and each hand on each shoulder, and. Uh, and she's holding a shawl in that thing and she sings half the song and then for, then she suddenly just opens her hands and her arms like that 
I nearly had a nervous breakdown when I saw <laughs> I thought it was the most I tell you Mario thing. So It nearly drove me back to Tremor <laughs> I said Where's that fellow's number in Tremor So I'm going to do that on stage yeah. so I'll just up there. And here is uh, Maria Callas singing Oh mio babino caro to Desert Island Discs. <laughs> I'm Mario Rosenstock. I was in conversation with Mark O'Halloran. <laughs> There's very little remaining for me to do today, but thank my hirsute and big-breasted guest without a house. Unfortunately, he will remain to wander the streets of Vagrant, one of our finest vagrants, of course, Mr. Mark O'Halloran, as he listens in his last years to O Neo Babino Carter. As he fades away, catless and un- unadorned by cats. Unfortunately, 2000 a month won't cut it anymore, so... As Maria Callas would say, hard luck, bitch. <laughs> uh, she wouldn't say that. She wouldn't. But I, anyway, once, I once bought my mother uh, Maria Callas's sort of greatest hits record for Christmas when I was like 17 or 18. The gayest present that a young gay son can buy the mother of a gay son. Just, it doesn't come any gayer. Mum, I've bought you Maria Callas. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> right, the final thing is, would you, uh, we always ask our guests this, would you prefer to be, would you like to be celebrated by Christy Moore? Would you like to be uh, com- um, um, interrogated by Miriam O'Callaghan? Or would you like to be eviscerated by Roy Keane? I think eviscerated by Roy Keane. Okay, change now. Great. Changed well, that? he's on the line. Is he? He's on the line. Say, say <laughs> well, hello. I sometimes so people come up to me sometimes and go, "You look like Roy Keane." Now I don't think I do, but I, there's a, there's a kind of a, the beard thing, I suppose. Okay. Well, say hello to him. He's on the line. How are you? How are you, um, Roy? How's it going? Uh, big uh, fan. Thanks very much. I've just been listening to you talking away there for the last three quarters of an hour. At the end of the day, all credit to poverty. Um, but obviously, one, you don't look like me. You don't look like me at all. You look like a 51-year-old a diva, actor from Ennis, Claire, not the best of starts. And I'd have to say, <laughs> I have to say, you know, the poor mouth thing, the poor mouth thing really pisses me off. You know, first of all, are you an actor or a writer? Make up your mind. You know, I bet people like you before. He's a striker, but he thinks he's a midfielder. You're a striker, but you think you're a midfielder. You can't even decide what you want. And then you're giving out about not having a house. Not, have, not, not having a house. Why would anybody give you a house? Oh, you're writing films about fucking garages. Garages. It's just a, okay, I want to buy a house. Well, show us what are you, a filmmaker? What is it about? A garage. What happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. A fella has a garage. There's a horse at the end looking into a fucking screen. Lads having a pint. No wonder. You're never going to be able to afford a house. I say, how you working with the boy Abramson? Yeah. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say you need to get into his slipstream more. You know, tell him to write a fucking movie about Transformers. Or what? footballers. Or, foot, or footballers yeah. but or a transformer that becomes a footballer I mean you <laughs> need sure. at least you need at least 500 million for a budget at the end of the day don't write about a fucking garage <laughs> write about a transformer that turns into a garage at least you'll get 500 million from Avengers going forward <laughs> Jesus Christ 
Okay, thanks, Roy. Thanks. Sorry, I'm, I apologise. He's no, always that's very right. angry. I was asking for it, to be honest with you. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. I'm good with that. You can say goodbye to him if you want. See you, Roy. All right. Just... Sorry about that. Take it on board. Yeah. All right. Duly noted. All right. I like the beard. Thanks, man. Great. Cheers. Um, okay, well, listen, Mark, it's been abs- my absolute pleasure to hook up with you, talk to you, yeah. and listen to you. And uh, I really think my uh, my listeners of the Mary Rowan's podcast will absolutely love this um, episode. You are a treat, a credit to our artistic culture <laughs> in Ireland. And, um, you know, actually, I probably believe that, you know, you, you, you're, you, your career is going so well at the moment, right, that actually you'll probably just buy a house outright pretty soon. I wouldn't say pretty soon, but, you know... You know, you never know what... See, he might be I, right he, about the Transformers. He could be right about the Transformers. Tell you know, Lenny to move towards the Avengers the area of things. But you know, <laughs> with an artistic life, sometimes you go, fuck it, anything could happen. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and that's kind of the thrill of it as well. And that's kind of the thrill. You move yeah. from... Uh, uh, so far it hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't. And Mark, brilliant things, Mark, brilliant things have happened in your life and yeah. will continue to do so. Thank you very Cheers. much for talking to me. My thanks again to Mark O'Halloran and I really enjoyed talking to Mark as I'm a great admirer of his. Um, But you know, this is the second week in a row where the whole housing issue came up. Brezzy, Niall Breslin, was last week's guest and he shared an extremely similar tale. Do check out that next. Also, check out the details of Brezzy's upcoming Where Is My Mind podcast tour in Limerick, Galway and Dublin. But if you want to go back and listen to one of my podcasts and you're in this mood for something similar, go to the Brezzy one. It's just um, last week. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Curry's, as always, Curry's PC World for their ongoing support. And I'll be back same time, same place next week on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and review. Bye.